Welcome back to the Local Experience Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Bear. And today I'm going to be doing the first of what will be a series of bonus episodes, uh, specifically me reading my blog from the Local Perspective newsletter. And so without further ado, this month's blog post titled Inflation for Dummies. Greetings and salutations to you as we're now about a month into our new year of 2022. So far, it seems a lot like 2020 and 2021 with new pandemic threats, durable hopes for a return to normalcy, or at least a stable new normal, and business disruptions and supply chain challenges. And yet the world goes round and round, and in many ways, things seem good. As always, our thoughts and time are mostly consumed with the navigation of life, but we may take a few minutes here and there to check in with the markets and scan the news. Big in the news and the markets lately is that scary little term no one likes to talk about, but which has been making the rounds just lately, inflation. In this month's blog, I'll be taking a high-level flyover on the topics of money and prices and supply and demand, and finally zeroing in on inflation. What is it? Where does it come from? And how does it behave? And what actions can we take at the micro and macro levels to confront this dragon who consumes? First, some news. We have a new intern at Loco Think Tank, helping us level up and have more consistency in our social media game. She's from Venezuela, and frankly, she stalked me on LinkedIn because she was interested in our model of business and wondered if we needed any remote work done. Alma's cup was overflowing, and social media is not a great love for either of us, and so we here we are with this new teammate, at least for a season and I hope for longer. Gabriella is a third-year engineering student, remote education at present. She's actually staying with family in Brazil, and not optimistic about finding an engineering job in Venezuela when she's graduated. Where there is no construction, there is no great demand for engineers. So finding connections and possible pathways outside of her home country has become her second major. Equipped with Alma's bilinguality and her penchant for process, and my willingness to try new things and follow my gut, I think there's a nice opportunity for a win-win-win, with no great bias as to what that might turn out to be. I have a soft spot in my heart for Venezuelans, and it's in part because of an interesting chapter in life we shared with a young lady named Carolina Sacco. Carol, she preferred, because she thought Americans wouldn't be comfortable with a strange name like Carolina which made me smile because we have two states that share that name, and I've yet to meet another Caro. But anyway, I met Caro in 2016 at the dog park off Lake Street in Midtown Fort Collins when my 20-pound dog Tucker defended her 60-pound dog Kay from an aggressive dog, German Shepherd of unknown name. She was in Fort Collins for cancer treatment with her dog, which was one of two that she kept, and which were her key helpers in her dog training business. Carol had a very successful dog training business in Caracas, Venezuela, and had a new branch in Mexico City and was working on the logistics of another branch in Panama. Saying that Mexico City and Panama were branches is perhaps overstatement. At that time, it was more like they had become financial refugee areas where her key employees had escaped to from Venezuela, and they had a brand and training system to work with. The economy in Venezuela was melting down, battling hyperinflation and corruption and also battling economic warfare from the U.S. to punish those naughty socialists. Kara was the daughter of an oil industry economist, and to my surprise, her principles were very libertarian and natural rights-oriented, much like my own. Though she was an upper-class business owner in Venezuela, her bees, the local term for bolivars, the national currency, were quickly becoming worthless when it came to paying dollar-denominated vet bills from CSU. Though the official exchange rate was still 10 bees to the dollar, no transactions ever occurred at that rate. When Caro and I met, the black market exchange rate was about 1,000 bees to the dollar, and within nine months, that spread had gone to 10,000 bees to the dollar. We became friends. She visited my Rotary Club and joined my wife and I for church and for dinner occasionally, and she gave us some lessons with our dog, Tucker. 
you know that dog training is just as much human training, yes? As the savings that Caro had were becoming increasingly futile to address her U.S.-denominated vet bills, I decided to apply for a grant from my employer at the time, Thrivent Financial, and we turned our annual backyard dinner party into a fundraiser for Kay's cancer treatment. We raised some funds, and Thrivent paid for the party costs, and it was a beneficial event overall. Thanks to CSU, Kay survived his brush with cancer and remained strong, and Carol has successfully rebuilt her business into a truly international brand, with operations in five countries and headquartered in Denver, Colorado, where she remains. You can check out Canine University's website at ucanine.com if you're curious, or if you and your dog need training, she's a maestro. One of her specialties is training your dog to participate in a wedding as your ring bearer or bride accompaniment. How Colorado is that? It's been amazing to see how quickly Carol has rebuilt her life and her business. Great challenges often bring resilience and strength, but that's a lesson for another day. The lesson for today is inflation. And in the example just delivered, hyperinflation. To get there, though, we have to do a quick primer on money. Money is what we say it is, historically and especially today with fiat currencies predominantly in exchange. Money can really be any rare thing. You've heard, no doubt, of shells being used by native tribes, and then commonly it was rare metals for many generations, silver and gold especially, with the less rare copper relegated to the pennies. Money is a medium of exchange and a store of wealth. And the value is based on the marketplace just like anything. It's supply and demand, dummy. If we had a comet vaporize in our atmosphere and it rained quarter-sized gold nuggets down on the world for two days, you can bet the price of gold would drop. The U.S. dollar is our medium of exchange, and it's got some extraordinary features that serve as demand enhancements, making our dollar worth more than it otherwise might be. First, it's still the world's reserve currency meaning that central banks around the world hold dollars as a more stable store of wealth than their own currency, and for differentiation and to defend their own currencies. Another is that oil is transacted in U.S. dollars. So if you've got yen and you want to buy some oil from Saudi Arabia, you've got to trade your yen for some dollars and then pay the Saudis for your oil. Another demand enhancement. Another, and perhaps the most important reason why demand for the dollar is boosted, America. We are the wealthiest, most innovative, and diverse economy in the world, and we remain a nation of laws and individual rights. People all around the world want vacations and property and lives here in America because it's safer and better and offers more opportunity than other options. And to find their way here, they need to get dollars. When you're in Venezuela, though, and Hugo Chavez's legacy has committed education and health care benefits and transfer payments to the poor, and to pay for it, they've taxed the formerly healthy oil and agricultural sectors nearly to death, then the global market for oil drops from the low 100s down below 40 due to the fracking boom in the U.S., and your government is corrupt and heavily in debt and is running huge deficits, nobody wants your bolivars. And so you print more of them to pay your existing bills and the budget shortfall, and then you print more to pay your bills and the shortfall, and then repeat. And by 2018, it was the equivalent of 1 million bolivars to the dollar. My example from earlier was just the beginning of the meltdown. I'm told that nowadays one can vacation and or live very well in Venezuela on about $9 a day, provided you don't get kidnapped and held for ransom by desperate citizens because they've noticed you've been spending U.S. dollars. So that's hyperinflation. It often comes from governments overextending themselves and their currencies to the point where the future value of the currency is in serious question. Inflation is basically the same thing, only a little at a time. In our current situation, through the combination of pandemic stimulus, credit programs for businesses, 
and unemployment benefits, we've grown the supply of money in the economy, thus increasing demand for goods and services of the world. At the same time, due to the shutdowns, the great resignation, the dreaded supply chain challenges, the available supply of goods and services is constrained. Increased demand plus reduced supply equals increased prices. That's Economics 101. But there's a pair of factors, really. This simple supply and demand is discussed in the prior paragraph, and also the notion that cutting the pie into smaller pieces doesn't increase the amount of pie available. When new money is created, it devalues the existing money, just like that asteroid that rained down gold nuggets from earlier. You've probably heard that headline or meme that 40% of U.S. dollars in existence were printed in 2020. But it's actually much worse than that, according to an article in Tech Startups, that indicated near 80% of all money, U.S. dollars, was created in the last two years. So of course the value of dollars is going to go down. It's been raining money from the sky. When we try to have a discussion about how inflation behaves, it's really a discussion about how people behave. When prices are going up, it encourages people to spend their money right away. Because next month, this thing I want will likely cost me more. In doing so, it discourages savings, which is what allows us, on a macro level, to purchase homes and automobiles and to build wealth generally. As we start to creep toward the macro level, inflation gets a lot more complicated. Because prices for inputs and labor are going up, the business owner must raise prices to maintain a profit margin, which they fear due to the possible negative effect on demand from customers who are already paying more for their other wants and needs. But raise prices they must if they wish to sustain the enterprise which contributes to increased prices in the greater economy. Ultimately, despite these measures, profit margins tend to decline during inflationary seasons, which leads to declining taxable income, which leads to declining government tax receipts, which leads to greater deficits, which must be funded by the printing of new money, which leads to the devaluation of the existing dollars, da 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 It's a tiger in a cage, and it's inflation. The reason we pay so much attention to inflation generally is because it's known to be an economic strangulation device. But for those who already have lots of assets, it's not as painful. Your $500,000 home becomes worth a million in a few short years, your stocks are up, at least for a while, and if you owe a bunch of debt, like most Americans and especially our government, it's kind of nice because you can remember the days when $29 trillion seemed like a lot of money. But for the debt issuers, it sucks, as well as for the savers, because they can't do nearly as much with those repaid dollars and interest earnings as they could have before the, they sacrificed to save. One of the reasons other countries want U.S. dollars is that historically it has been a stable currency. The Federal Reserve has what is called a dual mandate, but which is actually a triple mandate of maximum employment, stable prices, and moderate long-term interest rates. I would argue that the extended accommodative monetary policy of the post-2008 crash is largely to blame here. We've been goosing the economy with artificially low interest rates for a decade, trying to foster business growth, but also burdening the economy with an ever-increasing debt load and regulatory tangle. At the same time, the U.S. and the world have been subsidizing renewable energy that isn't ready for prime time yet, to such a level that Texas nearly lost its power grid last year because of an aggressive winter storm and stupid policy decisions. Texas, where they have over 150,000 oil and gas wells today. Despite what you might read, wind and solar costs a lot more to produce power than coal and natural gas and nuclear do. And so to transition to a lower carbon economy, it is likely to cost a lot more for your energy and your heat. As more and more copper wires and silicon panels and fancy pants windmill blade metals are needed 
to transition to this quiet, streeted, and bird-bereft new world, it's likely to make those renewable energy sources and electric cars even more expensive. Greenflation, it's been called, and it's real. You can read about it in the Financial Times or in Bloomberg. Energy is basically money, and if we raise the price of energy, it serves to keep all the poor people poor. They're already energy-starved. The challenge is business goes where the economics make sense. China is wealthy now because the U.S. largely outsourced its manufacturing to China over the last 50 years due to the lower wages and less stringent environmental standards. Now, the place is a mess environmentally, but their people are much better off financially. So as the Western world pushes on the gas pedal with low interest rates and applies the brakes with decarbonation efforts and crippling deficits, what could go wrong? A lot. A lot could go wrong. And if the U.S. were to lose reserve currency status, the impact on our currency and living standards would be near catastrophic. What's likely needed is a rapid increase in interest rates and a slow decrease in the money supply and the pain of a recession to combat the dragon of inflation and put it back in its cage. Just stop, in other words. Take your foot off the gas and off the brake and coast to a nice stable equilibrium where we can maintain positive price growth in the 1-3% to range and work off our debt for a while. It's hard, on both a macro and micro level, to live within your means, and harder still to pay off the debts from your extravagant days during leaner times ahead. But we will, and we must. No more stimulus checks, no more infrastructure spending bills, no more money printing, no more credit card spending, and no more voting for those who promise more than they can budget for. Dummy is as dummy does, and I don't think you're a dummy at all. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Logo Experience Podcast. If you enjoyed this program, share with your favorite people, and please leave us a review on your favorite listening platform. Subscribe to never miss the latest interview, and check out thelogoexperience.com to learn more and find our library of episodes. Until next time, stay local.